either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, here we are late July. By now, we would have hoped, we were hoping to be back in theaters, but uh, no. We still got streaming releases, but we have some big news, a lot of news, a lot of new news about dates for upcoming theater releases as we have a brand new edition of The Lobby, and we will get to that. So exciting. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start with the story of a pioneer rebel genius, the incredible true story of Marie Curie and her Nobel Prize winning work that changed the world. This is Radioactive. I read your paper. It contains some exceptional science. My instinct is that there is another element. You think you found an undiscovered element? Science is changing. And the very people who are running science believe the world was flat. Leave my laboratory. If my science doesn't speak for itself, then you have gravely misunderstood it. I'm going to prove them wrong. We all thought that atoms were finite and stable. Well, some of them are not. I have called this radioactivity. Our discovery could cure cancer. Extraordinary. You changed the world. Our work's been nominated for the Nobel Prize. The commendation only mentions my name. You stole my brilliance. How dare you take their applause? This is bigger than both of us. I just wanted to do good science. I was actually very excited to see this movie, primarily because I'm a massive fan of the director, uh, Marjane Satrapi, who a couple of years ago, a few years ago, she made a, a horror film with Ryan Reynolds that we love called The Voices. Yes. But before that, the first film she made as a director, she adapted a graphic, it's not even a graphic novel, it's a graphic autobiography mm-hmm. called Persepolis yeah. and that of her own life growing up in Iran. And it was, the movie is just a miracle. It's just, yeah. see it right now if you haven't seen Persepolis. But anyway, it was exciting. I was excited to see what she would do with a more mainstream kind of a film. Yeah, and this is interesting because we, I got a couple of different reactions. You know, this morning on Fridays, we talk to radio stations and then we have our TV gig. Yeah. And the one radio guy, as soon as I said, well, it's the story of Marie Curie. Boring! <laughs> <laughs> okay, but then on TV, Phil was like, this is interesting because here's somebody, Marie Curie, that a lot of us had to do book reports on in mm-hmm, school, mm-hmm. you know, a very legendary figure, and here you're getting a new look at her, and that's and that's what it becomes. Well, I think one of the interesting things, uh, uh, the difference there, right, Phil went on to be a meteorologist, so obviously science is intriguing to him. Yes. Um, but I hope that other people give it a chance as well, whether you're particularly interested in science or not, because it we ought to know more about her. And it was fascinating that we didn't just we didn't just see her as a scientist, although we definitely did. But you know, it's it's interesting to look back and think. I wonder what life was like for a woman genius in the scientific community. And so it's it's it was it was interesting to just see how that played out. Yeah, um, and she is played by Rose. Rosamund Pike uh, from Gone Girl and many other things. And that helps because when you're going to have a movie biography, you've got to have a great lead performance driving it. And she gives one. And Marie Curie was a a, a Polish ancestry who was doing her work in France and uh, was already on the way up when she met and married Pierre Curie. And then their work together was just groundbreaking, obviously. In, In a nutshell, they identified two new elements. One of them was radium. And then she came up with the term According to the movie, she came up with the term radioactivity Mm -hmm. and then the theory of it. And it 
just changed, obviously changed the world, as the synopsis there said. So the best thing the movie does, it humanizes her beyond her contributions, mm-hmm. which are great, makes her a real person. And yeah. that's what a movie biography wants to do. Right. And like a lot of movie biographies, this one is most successful when it keeps its focus more intimate. Right. A lot of movie biographies try to go too broad, and that's where you... Or try to cover everything from birth through death. Yeah. Now, they had a little bit of a a tougher job here because they're adapting a book, uh, and the book, I didn't read it, but the book was a real mixed-media sort of thing. It was text, it was graphics, it was photos all put together to tell her story, and the screenplay by Jack Thorne, you can tell they, they, they have moments where I think the movie flirts with greatness mm-hmm. and other moments where, oh, boy, that seems really simplified, really dumbed down and mm. really broad. Mm. And I can only guess it's because of the difficulty of adapting this sort of book well, to you, the screen. You can see where Satrapi would have been a good choice for it because yeah. she's made a cinematic version of her own weirdly mixed media yes. type of a book. But she also made an animated film of it, which I think, you know, it makes it much easier to to leap like that in different directions. Yeah, that, that's why I say there are moments where it seems that everything is on the same page and you can really see, man, it really hammers it here. And then other segments, like I said, it just seems so, so simplified mm-hmm. and broadly drawn. And that keeps, I think, the movie from being really one of the the great movie biographies. Still recommend it. Yes. Definitely do. Uh, because it, it not only humanizes her and her life, but puts her and Pierre's um, contributions in a new light. And then, as good as the performances are, and we, we should mention Sam Riley plays Pierre Curie. Oh, yeah. Also very good, very understated. About two-thirds of the way through the movie, it catches up with their oldest daughter, and her contributions, and she's played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Always wonderful. Which is great. She's so, they, so good. All of a sudden, she pops in. I was like, wow. Yeah. And uh, then you have, you, you see how uh, later in life, Marie Curie even made even more contributions, especially to the war effort with x-rays and field x-rays and things like that that was able to cut down on the number of amputations mm-hmm. when they just didn't know if, if maybe a guy had just a broken ankle, they just cut his leg off. But they were able to do some uh, x-rays in the field and, and really to save a, a lot more uh, people and a lot more amputations that were needless. So it just the list goes on and on. Obviously, an incredibly, incredibly accomplished scientist and mind, but, but person. And that's what this movie does a, does a good job of, just making you realize that, yeah, these people that you study and that you sometimes write book reports about... <laughs> We're real people Mm -hmm. growing up in, and especially in her time, she had to, another thing this movie does really well, and that Rosamund Pike does really well, is show how fierce she was and how fierce she had to be at defending her work from getting usurped. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm sure that had to be, because if you think about how common that is even today. Right. For a guy to just take credit for a colleague, a female colleague's work. I mean, imagine back then. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this movie is not boring <laughs> about science. And, and that, too, in, in these science-denying times, it's a nice reminder of how much you ain't lying. we have relied in the past and need to rely in the future on science, on research, and on researchers. Yep. And that, that, that really is, is perfect timing for it as well. So it's streaming now. Do recommend Radioactive. Next up is a horror-slash-thriller. Two couples rent a vacation home for what should be a celebratory weekend getaway, 
and it's not the rental. Let me show you out back, and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. Dave Franco has been in the news this week. We just found out that he is going to play Vanilla Ice, <laughs> Word to Your Mother. The movie better be called Word to Your Mother. <laughs> no? <laughs> but this week, he's got his first film as a director, and he also co-writes this one. Mm -hmm, but he's not in it. Yeah. It's a pretty small cast. His wife, Allison Brie, is in that cast. And it is interesting. By the way, well done, Dave. <laughs> It is interesting that for his directorial debut, he chose, you might think, comedy. Mm -hmm. um, but no, he goes with a, a horror thriller. The premise is not entirely fresh. You know, I mean, people, they go to a vacation, secluded vacation home, and they probably shouldn't have gone. I mean, that's, a, that's really a... But it's an Airbnb, which to me makes it a little more fresh. Now, we have not ever used an Airbnb. We have a lot of friends that have, and I have read these suspicions, maybe they're urban legends, I don't know, things that could maybe easily happen when you rent an Airbnb. It's funny. You know what this makes me think of? Uh, I was having lunch with uh, our friend, who was also one of our writers, Kat McAlpine. This was a long time ago, and she was saying that she one time, she had no choice because lifts weren't coming, and, and mm -hmm. uh, she had to take a cab, and she was just so surprised she didn't get murdered. And Matt <laughs> Wiener, who also writes for us, who's about halfway between her age and my age, we both said... Well, you're not going to get murdered right. in a cab. You're going to get murdered in a lift because it's not regulated. regulated. Like the cab, yeah, the... So that's one of the reasons we don't stay at Airbnbs is because you can feel pretty confident. If you stay in a hotel, there aren't going to be cameras in your room. There's not going to be people who just have the keys and can get in late and kill you. Is, now, is is a lot of those those fears based in my almost incessant decades-long fascination with horror movies? Yes, sure. absolutely it is. But I don't care because look what happened in Dave <laughs> Franco's story. But the point is he's trying to tap into something that's very now and, and give a twist. Like you say, this is maybe not the freshest premise, but he adds a, a fresher twist to it. Yeah, but, you know, honestly, the thing that it has going for it more than anything else is the quality of the uh, the performances. So it's Dan Stevens plays Charlie, and his younger brother is not as good-looking and not as successful. And his younger brother's girlfriend played by Sheila Vand of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. If you haven't seen it, it. watch it. it. So she is brilliant, and she's partners with the work, handsomer... Work, work partners. partners yeah. With the handsomer, smarter, richer, older brother. And mm -hmm. so there's a little conflict there to begin with. Because so, everybody sees there's probably a spark going on there. Yeah, like, they really ah. click. Yes. Uh, so the three of them, plus Charlie's wife, played by Alison Brie, they all go to this Airbnb because they've landed a big deal. And they want to celebrate. So, you know, it's kind of an all-in-the-family sort of thing. It's these two brothers and these two women. They're all close. You know, it's a sister-in-law, whatever. Yeah. The performances are great. And the movie spends a lot of time getting to know these characters, mm -hmm. not even individually, but as 
pairs. One of the things I like the best about it is there's a really long hiking sequence with the brother-in-law and sister-in-law, not your two main characters, and they really have this very sort of big sister, little brother, support each other kind of a relationship, which is so uncommon for the, the, the you know, sort of B-story characters yeah. in an independent horror movie. But part of it, it works out so well because by the time the movie twists and becomes creepy and people are making the wrong decisions and you're not sure why, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, the reason it doesn't feel false and and stale is because you are so invested in these four characters. Yeah, they spent the time with the characters, which almost always pays off. And so it does take a while to get there, but then it gives you a, a little twist yeah. and becomes the more horror and thriller. <laughs> and we should mention, for Seinfeld fans, <laughs> Toby Huss. He's the whiz, and nobody beats him. That's right. <laughs> he's the guy. He's the guy who has rented them this house. To be honest with you, here's the problem that I have with not Toby Huss is not my problem with it. He's great. It's a small role. He's absolutely just perfect in it. My problem is that when they do sort of deliver the sleight of hand, which seems sort of necessary, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, so that yeah. it's not just you're cut and dried exactly what you're expecting to see. It and it's is, a good sleight of hand. It's not. It a, is, it's not an eye roller. No. But it is so late in the film Mm -hmm. that the film feels unbalanced. Mm -hmm. It really does. It doesn't feel... Sometimes, you know, a sleight of hand in a film, when it's satisfying, it's one of those things that you should have seen coming and absolutely didn't. And then when it's not handled really perfectly, it can just feel like trickery. You know, Mm -hmm. like... You, you can almost see the wheels in the writing room as it happens. You know what I mean? And that's, I think my only real disappointment with this film is that it waits so long to deliver this that it does kind of just feel like a trick. Yeah, a little bit. But still, I think overall we would recommend yeah. the rental out, uh, out now for streaming. Who's up for some sea shanties? How about 10 fishermen from Cornwall, England are signed by Universal Records and achieve a top 10 hit with their debut album of those sea shanties? This one's called Fisherman's friends. I thought... Ladies and gentlemen, we're the fishermen's friends. Oh, this is bloody talk. No, no, I want these guys to sign up to Duke Manager. What kind of music were they singing? The Rock and Roll of 1752. The bottom line is, you've got a unique sound. And we believe we can help you get it released by a major label. I don't understand why anyone will buy a record sung by ten hairy-ass fishermen. Your songs transport the listener to distant shores. Remember what the well-known Irish singer said, Jim? I may be plain old Paul Hewson from Dublin. Put a pair of shades on. I'm Bonio. <laughs> Bono, you pillock. This was actually reviewed by our newest addition to the Mad Wolf Pack, our newest writer at madwolf.com, Seth Troyer. And I think he pretty much nails it here. You, you hate to use the cliche, feel-good movie, but this really is. It's not great, but if you want to hear just a fu- see just a fun, feel-good movie of a bunch of craggly old fishermen who are really good singers and in an a cappella singing group, because this is based on a true story, who really have no interest in being signed by a record company, but get signed anyway. It's fun. It is. I think the the phrase he used was, it's comfort food right. in a film. That's a good phrase, yeah. It is, because it is not a great movie, but it's something that you can watch with your mom and dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's and uh, it's great to see these these this ensemble of older British actors mm-hmm. making fun of, basically, the young upstart who thinks he's going to come in and change your life. It's a fun movie. And it does. It, it hits really familiar notes. It adds a romantic subplot to the movie that probably wasn't there. And 
actually right. takes away. If you re- happen to remember this story, there's actually a tragic bit of it when it was really going on. Two of their members of this acapella group were killed in a stage collapse. Right. They don't cover that, so no. they keep it very fun, uh, very, very up. Upbeat. And so if that's what you're looking for. And again, for the uh, for maybe the more mature audiences right. would right. appreciate this even mm-hmm. more. It's worth checking out. Fisherman's Friends. Next up is one that I really wanted to cover, but uh, Hope wouldn't let me. After an innocent <laughs> AOL chat turns racy, a Catholic teenager in the early aughts discovers masturbating and struggles to suppress her new urges in the face of eternal damnation. This one's called Yes, God, Yes. I'm going to need your cell phone and watch. You won't be needing a watch this weekend anyway because you're on Jesus's time. <laughs> See ya. Alice, this retreat isn't going to do you any favors if you're not honest. So have you ever felt turned on? I bet you actually did toss Wade's salad. I don't even know what that means. Oh my God, quit the act. You know, the truth is, nobody knows what they're doing any more than the rest of us. You're all hiding stuff. All kinds of stuff. Your body is a gift from God. You need to honor it. Let's be honest. We weren't going to stick anybody with this one, right? We were. I mean, how awkward would that be? Hey, how do you feel about covering this underage masturbation Catholic movie? No, that well, you know, be... you are the one that went to Catholic school all those years, so you are qualified. Not only that, this I was so slain by this that um, well, I didn't just go to 12 years of Catholic school, but my dad worked for the Catholic Church, and one of the things that his the CYO, the Catholic Youth Organization, one of the things that they did was organize retreats. retreats. So about once a month through my entire adolescence, we had to go with other Catholic youth and hang out in a gym somewhere and sing songs and shit. And, I, and, and you have to know this, that's the reason that she missed Live Aid. You're not kidding. I mean, not that we had Still tickets or anything. Still haunts but, you to this day. Well, you're, I know. I texted my, sis, my twin sister like three weeks ago. I was like, do you remember when mom and dad made us go to Bluffton, Ohio for a retreat instead of letting us watch Live Aid? And I'm like, I am still mad. And I am. But the point anyway. is, I've never seen anything like that actually in a movie. Where the, I mean, I, my mind was blown. I'm like, did she just say they're going on a retreat? No way. Um, and so I, I was impressed by a lot of things about how things that they got right. They're also very broadly drawn, as you have in a you know in a teen comedy. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not super super exact by any means, but it's just about <laughs> just accepting that no matter who you are when you're 15 years old. You are struggling, and so is everybody else. And you know what? It's not just the other 15-year-olds. It's everybody. They want so badly for people to like them and not know who they really are because, especially if you grew up in a Catholic house, you're just ashamed of who you really are. You don't even know why. You just are. (laughs) This is writer-director Karen Maine. And she, a couple of years ago, she co-wrote the movie Obvious Child. With Jenny Slate. Uh, really good. Really good. And th- and there are some similarities. This definitely doesn't hit as hard, but it shouldn't because it's about 15-year-olds. But you can see some similarities in the way that they just discuss things in a comedy that you don't ever see in a comedy because it's it's from the female perspective. Mm-hmm. And also that she just relies on a great central performance. And this is from Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things. Yeah. She's magnificent. She's so good because she doesn't overact anything. She doesn't overdo anything. She really doesn't talk that much. You can just see everything on her face where she's deciding, 
All right, I'm not going to speak up right now. All right, I'm just going to hope he doesn't ask me this question right now. And she does, she, oh, she delivers such a great performance. And it also touches on the different approaches, the different consequences, I should say, of rumors and hearsay yeah. on girls and boys. Yes. You know, it's funny, too, because there is a part, I don't want to give, I'm not going to give it away, but there's a part toward the end where the film has led you to believe that she's going to speak up on a particular area and the fact that she does it to me was just groundbreaking and brilliant but i want to say this as well her biggest internal conflict is that she's afraid she's going to go to hell and uh, i'm going to be honest with you uh, particularly i don't think that that works that well in this story particularly because so much of the story takes place with the concept of confession and that's the thing right is that <clears throat> catholics get to sidestep this idea of eternal damnation because we get to go to confession, uh -huh. which is to say, I mean, we struggle with um, shame and guilt because that's the tool that's used to make us be good. But it's less common for a Catholic to be preoccupied with the idea of going to hell because we get to go to confession later. Mm -hmm. So I didn't entirely buy that that was her conflict. Uh, and there are a couple of other things that you're like, I feel like he'd have closed the door. I mean, there are just some moments <laughs> that don't really work. But I enjoyed the movie so much. And that is Yes, God, Yes. Let's go back to horror. An ex-soldier living homeless in London is offered a place to stay at a decaying house inhabited by a young woman and her dying mother. As he starts to fall for her, he cannot ignore his suspicion that something sinister is going on. This is Amulet. There are many like you, Thomas, who seek refuge here. Mother lives on the top floor. She's very ill. Mother won't like it. What's wrong with her? I'm afraid. Did you kill people in the war? What is happening to me? Do you see it? Do you know what a demon is? She belongs to it. How are you, Thomas? Settling in? So Imelda Staunton is a nun, just to give us more creepy Catholic shit. <laughs> She's great, of course. In fact, the whole cast is really just three people. The whole cast is absolutely wonderful. But I know how happy you were to see Carla Jury in something else. Yes, if you've seen Wetlands and... If you have, it will. It has left a mark. Yeah, you, you didn't forget it. <laughs> you didn't. But yeah, Carla Jury from from uh, Wetlands, and I hadn't seen her in anything. I don't think since. Well, I mean, she's German, so I think a lot of the work maybe hasn't mm. made it over here. But she plays the enigmatic young woman who lives in this decrepit house. And Imelda Staunton is the nun who has brought this homeless man to her home with the idea that they can help each other out. Uh, Carla Jury's character can't really leave the house because of her, uh, you know, very, very ill, um, sometimes violent because of the pain mother who's on the top floor. And the house is falling down around them. And the idea is that this man can help sort of rebuild the house and in exchange for things like food, she's going to cook him these big meals. It's so odd. It's so specific. And it's really a little bit hypnotic in a very creepy way. And the performances are just magnificent. It's a feminist movie. Mm -hmm. There's no getting around that by the end. And some of the decisions that are made really are quite startling. But what it's really about, which again, I, I think it makes sense that they have a character uh, presented as a nun, is this concept of forgiveness and forgiving yourself 
and just forgiving yourself. And then at one point, the main character, the male character, says, we don't get to do that, right? I mean, that's a new construct. <laughs> you know, it's not ours to give. And and that's really what the whole film is sort of focused on. And again, I, I sort of feel like the tidiness of the final act isn't worthy of the entire rest of the film. She mm-hmm. just builds, the filmmaker builds such an incredible world that the the very final sort of moments of the film seem like a cheat. But I loved it. Yeah, the writer-director is Ramola Garay, and it's one that definitely benefits from you don't want to you don't want to know a lot about it right. going in. No. Yeah, but uh, but another one, another one that comes up as a as a rec- recommendation for streaming this week and that is Emulet. Next is a movie that's been hanging around for about 3 years and finally out now. It's an adult victim of childhood sexual abuse confronts the horrors of his past, Retaliation. Forgive me, father, for I've sinned. What would you like to confess? I've hurt someone. I've hurt someone severely. What are you here for? Revenge. We are really on a roll with filmmakers who have a, a bone to pick with the Catholic Church. Yeah, and confession booths, and uh, this is Orlando Bloom. Well, if you can get adrift from the title, he's on a rampage for retaliation, and this one also was reviewed on MedWolf.com by Seth Troyer. Yeah. As revenge stories go, this is pretty effective, mainly due to Orlando Bloom's performance. Right, and you know, it's funny because he just a couple, uh, you know, it's funny, I have been wondering what happened to Orlando Bloom for a while. I assume that Katy Perry just had him locked up in a basement somewhere. <laughs> but they're getting ready for a baby. <laughs> but he's got two movies out just this summer. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago, you know, we talked about The Outpost, and it was a fairly small role, but he did a good job. But this is one where it's all him. It's a character study, really, in suppressed rage. And it's a it's a tough role for somebody, and he does just a great job. And then the other thing that's interesting is he he works in demolishing. He does a lot of work, you know, and, and primarily in demolishing old churches. Mm-hmm. And you could just see the zeal that he symbolism uses. There, yeah, yeah. A lot of symbolism. And then carrying a big cross out of it. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's it's really steeped in it in a way that could feel incredibly heavy-handed, except that the performance is so strong. Yeah, and it's uh, the directors Ludwig Shamasan and Paul Shamasan. I probably I'm, I always get these hard to pronounce names. <laughs> you take some of these, but uh, if you want to check out the full written review, it's up at MadWolf.com again by Seth Troyer, and that's Retaliation. And finally, we've got the latest Shudder premiere. Maya, with her best friend Dini, tries to survive in a city without a family. She realizes that she might inherit a property from her rich family, then returns to the village with Dini, unaware of the danger waiting for her. This is Empatigor. Kesalahan yang harus aku hapus. I have the feeling that that is a title that got slapped on this because it's an Indonesian film. Right. 
when I was young and a babysitter, there were a handful of words that you just didn't want to hear when you got the call. <laughs> and impetigo was one, like croup and uh, colic. You didn't want to hear impetigo yeah. because it's something that babies get and it's like boils and scabs and things. Yeah, I, I suppose I could see maybe where they were going. I don't want to say anything more because it would give away too much about the plot, but... Maybe there was something lost in translation, because obviously it's an Indonesian film. That's not the original title, but it's from uh, writer-director Joko Anwar, who's a very experienced Indonesian filmmaker yeah. in, in genre films. He did, he did Satan Slaves, Satan Slaves. not too long ago. That's probably yeah. his most famous. Yeah, it might be the, the, the most famous one here in the States. But this is one that is pretty effective a lot of the time. I do have, I think we both do, have a couple of bones to pick with it, but... <laughs> It looks great. The cinematography is really good. It's true. Once they get to uh, the two friends, get to this village that is cursed, it really, the, the mood is very effective. And the, the, uh, the mood of them being isolated, them being trapped, them not knowing what part they play in this curse. Because just as they were looking for this village for the hopes that uh, Maya gets to inherit this house, the village has been looking for Maya yep. uh, for a certain reason that has to do with the curse. And that is very interesting. It, it To me, it, it felt like it had a number of these very impressive benchmarks. But what was in between them sometimes what wasn't that strong. It was really convenient, like Very. really convenient elements that allowed the plot to move forward. I think besides, like you, like you said, how just gorgeous, lush and creepy things look. The other thing I liked about it was that it, it, it took some time in the first act to develop not only a very believable friendship between these two women, but a believable impetus for them to just, because where they, what they were, how they're trying to get by is yeah. just not working. And you believed it. Yeah. I also thought that Deanie was hilarious. So the best friend, I really enjoyed that character a great deal. Yeah, there were a few instances of dialogue that ranged from awkward to WTF. Yeah, you think. But then, you're right, there were some very convenient plot turns. And also, there's a sequence where it gives you, it finally explains this yeah. curse. Mm -hmm. And the explanation goes on for so long. <laughs> it's, and it's very bring, complicated. Very complicated. And that sort of weighed it down a little bit, too. But still think it's worth checking out, especially if you have Shudder. Absolutely. You're looking for something new. And this is this week's uh, premiere. Uh, and I would recommend checking it out. And I think, I think we both agree that it has some definite sequences that are that are striking yep. and it's a pretty good story it just is is weighed down with certain missteps here and there but uh check it out on shutter this week Epitigor. let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby hey it's a new and improved lobby this week we haven't really had anything to talk about so we wanted to bring in a guy, a friend of ours, a Daniel Baldwin, also known as the Schlocketeer, the Schlocketeer.com. Daniel, he has his ear to the ground about this stuff more than anybody I know about what studios are doing, what got moved, what got held back, what got signed, what's going on. So we wanted to bring him in and just update us because there is a lot to be updated about. Yeah, it seems like there's, there's new information about five times a day, Daniel. What do you got? Uh, AMC Theaters have pushed their reopening date back from July 31st to the end of August now, and the other big chains like Regal and Cinemark are expected to follow suit. Sony yanked the Broken Hearts Gallery from its late July release date and has not given it a new one yet. The Russell Crowe star Unhinged is now vacating its July 31st date and is expected to move to the end of August. 
Uh, moving on with Argus News, Disney pulled Mulan from its date and hasn't given a new one yet. They also moved their Fox Horror movie, The Empty Man, from August to December. And as of the moment of this recording, the only films that are currently still set to come out in August are Disney's New Mutants, Lionsgate's Antebellum, Disney's The Personal History of David Copperfield, the aforementioned Unhinged, and Greenland, which is the latest from your favorite, Gerard Butler. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm guessing all those will be moving again yeah. anyway. Um, moving on, Disney Disney gave um, their Fox Horror flick Antlers a new date in February. A Quiet Place Part Two has moved from September of this year to April of next year. Top Gun Maverick has moved from December of this year to July of next year. Ridley Scott's period piece drama, The Last Duel, has moved from December of this year to October of next year. And uh, lastly, in a bit of a change of pace, there is one movie we might actually be seeing sooner than the rest. Uh, the Michael B. Jordan starring in a Tom Clancy adaptation, Without Remorse, was originally set to be released by Paramount this fall and then moved to February of next year. But as of yesterday, they have apparently sold the film to Amazon Prime, and I'm guessing Amazon is going to want to make it available sooner and will probably stream it sometime this fall. Wow. That's a lot. I hope you're not going to quiz me. <laughs> no. <That's... laughs> I, I had to have a list, otherwise I couldn't keep it straight. <laughs> Everything's moving around a lot. Christopher Nolan's Tenet, of course, was supposed to be a huge release this summer, and now it's been pulled from the schedule. They haven't set a new date yet. They have promised that they will, but it might not be until the fall or it could be next year. Mm -hmm. The Conjuring Free has now moved from September of this year to June of next year. Bill and Ted Face the Music was supposed to come out next month and is now coming out in early September as primarily a VOD release. There's a Disney movie that they inherited from Fox called The One and Only Ivan that is also going straight to streaming now next month. And there's rumors circulating that the latest James Bond movie, No Time to Die, could move again from this November to spring or summer of next year. Wow. A lot and, of shifting around. Yeah, and that's understandable. Everything is so fluid, especially with Tenant. We kept hearing all those different dates, and you kind of had it in the back of your mind anyway, like, uh, no, it's not going to happen in July. Right. So we'll see those dates uh, probably move some more in the future. I also heard something this week about a uh, a reboot of a movie. Uh, I, I admit, I love it, from years ago, Fletch. Yeah, they, they are apparently doing a new Fletch movie. They're not remaking either of um, the Chevy Chase movies. Instead, they're, I guess they're adapting one of the other books that neither of those touched called Confess Fletch Yeah, with uh, John Hamm in the lead. You know, I can see that. I, I really can. He's, he is funny. Uh, he can really be funny, not in a specifically Chevy Chase sort of way, but I could really see that working with John Hamm. I can, too. All right, we look forward to that. And we look forward to more uh, in the coming weeks from Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at theschlocketeer.com. We appreciate the knowledge. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Wow, that's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, I, I knew there was uh, going to be a few things, but, man, he had it down. <laughs> Especially, I knew because I started seeing a few headlines here just pop in the last 24 hours. Yep. And he had even more than I thought. So that's why we got him on here. And hopefully <laughs> he's going to keep coming and, uh, and getting us up to date every week in the lobby here because that uh, that's valuable stuff. Next week we look for, uh, well, a movie actually we just watched called The Big Ugly. Yeah. That's coming next week. Also, In Search of Darkness. 
That one we'll probably have to talk about for a long time because it is a long movie. Okay. Another one we just watched, Shadow of Violence, is coming next week. Also a documentary, another documentary on Bob Marley. He'd be 75. 75, yeah. So Marley is coming next week. Summerland, which is a World War II saga. Um, She Dies Tomorrow, another horror movie. Mm -hmm. And one called The Fight. It's an ACLU documentary. Very excited about that one. Okay, good. All right. So that's all coming next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. You can always keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf, also on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website with all of our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our other, our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. You can find all that at madwolf.com. Again, thank you to the schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin, for the first of many updates we're going to have in the lobby. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>